Please take your Bibles and your bulletin inserts and turn with me today to our primary text uh, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, verses 6 through 11. It is printed in the bulletin insert and also a number of other uh, Proverbs that we'll be looking at together today. It seems that we have uh, a few visitors, so perhaps a, a word of explanation is in order. Our typical practice here at Redeemer is to preach sequentially and orderly. Uh, through God's Word, we are taking a break from that sequence through Luke's Gospel, uh, which we studied this past school year uh, and, and ended in the spring. We're taking a break from that for the summer uh, to do a bit of topical study, uh, taking up different topics in the Proverbs. And so we're trying to pull from lots of different places as we deal with lots of different issues. And today, uh, we're dealing with idleness, one that perhaps strikes at the heart of many of our lives. And so we're looking today at Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, also Proverbs 18, Proverbs 21, Proverbs 26, uh, and there will be several others sprinkled in there as we go along. But before we come to God's Word together and pray, uh, before we come to God's Word together and hear, let us pray and ask that He will uh, add a blessing as we read and study this morning. Let's go to Him in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you are the great creator of all that is. In the space of six days, you did your labors and your work, and you gave us a model that we too should be workers, and that we too should rest in you. And so, O Lord, even as you are uh, even now at work, so we pray that you would help us to consider what it is uh, to be diligent, to shun the sin of idleness. Not to work our way to you, O Lord, but to reflect the way that you have worked our way to yourself. We pray that you'd give us wisdom, give us a sensitivity and an openness to the words that you have for us today through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hear now God's word concerning idleness from the Proverbs. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor all day long. He craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, it wearies him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing as we study it together today. It was several uh, weeks ago, and uh, my wife shocked me when she informed me that I am indeed a millennial. We were having a conversation with somebody else uh, about generational perceptions. And even though some of my favorite people in all the world are millennials, 
you know the perception of the millennial generation, that millennials are lazy. Millennials are entitled. Millennials are people who consume far more than they produce. And uh, in the course of this conversation, I self-righteously proclaimed how glad I was that I couldn't be lumped into all that. Because after all, I, uh, I was born just before the millennial generation, by a few years at least, and so I escaped that. I may be lazy, but I'm not generationally lazy. And I felt very assured of myself, and that was when my wife, so very helpfully, uh, told me that, no, actually, I was in the millennial generation by a few years. And so I did uh, what any self-respecting millennial would. I pulled out my phone. <laughs> and I said, hey, Google, hey, Google, when did the millennial generation start? Millennial start date is 1981. <clears throat> <laughs> she was right. And here I am, uh, a millennial. I'm glad that worked. I've never felt more like Steve Jobs. That's, <laughs> whew, that's good. But that's why the Proverbs are so helpful for us, because it reminds us uh, that no matter what generation you're a part of, laziness is not a new problem. The sluggard was not born in 1981. And if you are a lazy person, it's not because you are a millennial or a boomer or a Gen Xer. If you struggle with laziness, it's because you're a sinner. And sinners love all the things that make laziness attractive. Sinners love themselves. And sinners love their comfort. And sinners love their excuses. And it occurred to me this week that I don't think I have ever heard a sermon on the issue of laziness. Now, that is either really surprising or, or perhaps pretty reflective of our culture. Because laziness is all over the scriptures, and not just in the Proverbs, but it is all over the Proverbs. The verses that we've looked at already today have barely scratched the surface of the issue of idleness. The sluggard shows up here in chapter 6, and then again in chapter 10, and three times in chapter 12, again in chapter 13, and 14, and 15, and 18, and you get the picture. The sluggard is all over the pages of Proverbs. It litters uh, the pages of Proverbs, and quite frankly, we already know what laziness looks like. Laziness is that slow, self-indulgent refusal to work hard. Laziness is allergic to breaking a sweat. We know what laziness looks like. Uh, Regina Bereca, in 1996, summarized the sin of sloth, uh, secular perspective, but, but pretty insightful. She was writing in the Chicago Tribune, this is what she wrote, sloth is insidious. It whispers that you might as well do it tomorrow. Nobody will know if you cut corners here and there to save yourself some trouble. Uh, that the world will be the same in a hundred years no matter what you do, so why do anything? Sloth says, don't strain yourself. What's the big hurry? Just give me five more minutes. Sloth hits the snooze button, hits the remote control, and hits the road when the going gets tough. Sloth cheats on exams, drinks straight from the milk carton, and leaves exactly two sheets on the toilet roll so that it will have to be replaced by the next poor soul who finds out too late that the remaining paper is nothing more than a mirage. Sloth does slightly less than the right thing. It doesn't bother returning something to the lost and found. It pockets it. It doesn't tell the clerk he has undercharged sloth 
has never written a thank you note, sent a birthday card on time, or entertained angels. All of this simply takes too much effort. So we already know what laziness does, but the Proverbs really are far more concerned that we understand who laziness is. You see, laziness in the Proverbs is always personified. It's not just an action, but it's a person. It's the sluggard, and that word itself just evokes the picture of a person laying there. Some words roll off of your tongue, sluggard flops, sluggard. And you get the idea already of who this person is. He's the sluggard tossing on his bed, just wrapped up in his covers because he's just rolling around in circles going nowhere. Laziness is the fool spouting his self-justifications for why uh, tomorrow is a better time than today. Laziness is the man who starves while the steak on his plate gets cold. And Proverbs wants us to know who the lazy person is. So today, we are going to get a three-part introduction to the sluggard. And because I don't want you to confuse me with one of those lazy millennials, uh, I have also given our three points, three sub-points each. So you may either think of this as my very first nine-point sermon, uh, or perhaps three three-point sermons all wrapped together for you, but the sub-points uh, will be quick. But let's get started. We want to know who the sluggard is, and there are three things we want to see today. We want to see what the sluggard has, we want to see who the sluggard hurts, and we want to see what the sluggard needs. What he has, who he hurts, and what he needs. We begin with what the sluggard has, and the sluggard, uh, for one, has desires. The sluggard has desires. That might seem out of place to you. We imagine the sluggard, uh, that, uh, that word evoking some idea of a listless, dispassionate person. Why else would the lazy person sort of creep through life at this glacial pace than the fact that uh, there's simply nothing that excites them enough to get them out of bed? Clearly, uh, they don't desire anything. They have no ambitions in the world. There's nothing that they want, but Proverbs 21 tells us otherwise. It tells us the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. And all day long he craves and craves, but the righteous person gives and does not hold back. You see, the lazy person is full of desire. That's because the lazy person is just like you, and just like me. It's not that they're a person who does not have desire, but they're a person whose desires are disordered. They can't seem to get around their overarching, tyrannical desire for what is most comfortable in the present moment. They cannot see beyond those immediate desires to get to those things that they know they need, even though there is pressure mounting upon them. The sluggish person, their cravings for the wrong things have mastered them. A lazy woman's sin has so twisted her heart that she only longs for what fulfills her immediate interest. She can't see past her greed for one more episode, just one more page, just one more blog, just one more snooze. Her cravings are tyrannical. They leave her paralyzed to the needs that are far more important than personal indulgence. And you know how it works. Because you have, at some point, told yourself, I will get to that big, important project just as soon as I check my email one more time. I just checked it four minutes ago, and there was nothing there. At least there was nothing there I I wanted to deal with. But maybe now, if I check again, there will be something there. And, And the problem is that you have this desire. What is it? Well, it's a desire for connection, maybe. Maybe it's a desire for diversion. Maybe it's a desire for something, anything more interesting than what you have 
now in front of you and what you need to do. And so you understand the, the lazy person, the sluggard, isn't ignorant. They know what their laziness costs them. And yet there are these tyrannical desires that seem to mount. And so there is always this gnawing sort of restlessness in laziness. It all seems too enjoyable to pass up a nap here and a diversion there. You see, the sluggard has desires. In fact, sometimes the sluggard has lots of good desires for lots of good things. They may have their entire successful life planned out from start to finish. They may know exactly what they need to do to get from here uh, to there, and uh, yet planning and ambition is where it ends for the sluggard. Because even though the sluggard may have desires, the sluggard also has excuses. The sluggard has desires, but the sluggard also has excuses. And if you look for them hard enough, they're, they're not really all that difficult to find. You look at Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Anything almost plausible will do for the sluggard. It becomes the excuse for staying inside and staying in bed and staying away from the things that need to be done out there. Now, were there lions in Israel at the time? You bet there were. They certainly weren't so prevalent as for the average Israelite to hang up his tools on any given day and say, oh, I can't. I can't go out. In fact, there, there's a little bit of ridiculousness here. Maybe you, uh, if you have a different translation of uh, 26.13, the first line actually says there's a lion cub in the road, just a, just a tiny baby lion, just this little threat, and yet the sluggard says, that's enough. I, I, can't, I can't chance it today. I wonder how it would go over if I told my wife this week, you know, I, I would really love to cut the grass. I would. Uh, it, looks, it looks terrible. The neighbor just cut theirs. It looks we're, We've got yard shame at this point. I would love to cut the grass, but I can't because I saw that there was a black bear sighting in Chelmsford last week. It was there on the news. He was going through somebody's, uh, somebody's trash cans. I've seen it. You know they're out there. And I, What would happen to you and the kids if I was mauled to death by a black bear while trying to cut? I can't chance that. In fact, the, all this bear stuff is, is stressing me out. I'm going to go lay down. Let me know uh, when dinner is ready. That's the ridiculousness that's happening here. Because of all these excuses, the sluggard says, I want all of these things, but ooh, I, I can't. That's how the sluggard works. Any potential obstacle becomes the reason why later is better than now. And the fact is that the more you get used to making excuses, the better you get at it. Excuses become a little more subtle, a little more persistent. He can't apply for those jobs because he's really not very good with authority. Besides, he's, he's got management potential. He, he'd really be much better in a higher position, so uh, there's no sense in applying for those lower positions. Uh, it would be a waste of his talents, and so he'll just move back into the basement instead. She can't clean up that mess because in 20 minutes, the kids are going to make another one, uh, and what's the point? And you see, these excuses become entrenched, and it's the way that we protect our comfort and our laziness. Eventually, these excuses become so entrenched that the, the sluggard is immune to wisdom. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And we do the same thing with spiritual laziness. He knows he ought to spend time in dedicated, scheduled, regular prayer. But, you know, every time I sit down to pray, I fall asleep. Maybe you should kneel. Maybe you should stand up. 
I, I would, but then my mind starts to wander. Well, maybe you should pray out loud. I really like to pray early in the morning. That's when I feel my prayer life is at its best, and the kids are asleep in the next room, and, it, and you know how it goes. Eventually, it goes so far that the excuses become theological, and he begins to think and reason to himself, you know, Jesus said that our Father knows what we need before we ask it, so isn't it actually more faithful not to pray and simply to trust the Lord? And that's where this goes, that the, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer a reason. So it really doesn't matter how many desires the sluggard has. They never come to fruition because he has this never-ending list of excuses. And that means that the, the only thing the sluggard really has is emptiness. Proverbs 20, chapter 4, it's not in your handout, but Proverbs 20, chapter 4 tells us, sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look and find nothing. Now there's, a, there's this natural law of creation that if you want to harvest, uh, you've got to sow. If, if you want to reap, you've got to plant uh, but hear that sad picture again. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest they look, but find nothing. And you want to say, what on earth are they looking for? There they go, out to the fields that have been fallow for months, and nobody removed the stones, and nobody planted the seeds, and nobody plucked up the wheat and, and the tares and separated them out, and yet he marches out there looking for some spontaneous harvest. And it's ridiculous, but sin and the sin of laziness makes us ridiculous. It deludes us into thinking that we are the ones who will get to enjoy the harvest without the hard work. We're the special case. The laws of creation will not work the same way in our case, and so we are unprepared for the sudden emptiness that overtakes us. Another one that's not in your handout, Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 30. There's a parable here. Uh, Solomon says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. There's the difference between the wise man and the fool. The wise man looks and observes and makes the connections that are all around us in the world. And, and the empty, broken-down vineyard of the sluggard becomes the wise man's teacher. But the fool, the sluggard, never learns. It's all been so comfortable that he hasn't paid attention to uh, sowing and reaping. And he seems to be so comfortable that he's, uh, he's taken by surprise at the end when he has nothing to show for his lack of working. It took him by surprise like a thief breaking in in the night. That's the picture of the, the sluggard in the Proverbs. He has these endless desires for all the good things in life, but he has an endless list of excuses why he shouldn't have to work to receive him. And at last, we see him standing in an empty field, looking out over an overgrown vineyard and scratching his head and wondering how this all happened. Well, that's what the sluggard has, desires and excuses and ultimately emptiness. Now that leads us secondly to consider who the sluggard hurts. Who does the sluggard hurt with all this laziness? Well, first he hurts himself. We've seen that already. We see that natural consequence, the, the way the sluggard harms himself by pampering himself. And Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, the, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's what he does. 
Laziness is really insatiable. It has an enormous appetite, and it will eat anything you put in front of it. Laziness uh, will eat up every one of your pretty little dreams and desires that you have for your future. It will eat up your productivity and your ambition. It will eat up your effectiveness and your wealth. And the sluggard ends up making a meal of himself because he has nothing else to eat. And we understand how that happens in the natural world, but it works the same way in the spiritual world. And there are spiritual implications wherein the sluggard hurts himself. That's because laziness is sin. It's rebellion. Laziness is an attempt to escape from the world where the Lord is king and he puts us in creation and he gives us callings and he gives us responsibilities. The Lord gives us a command that six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now there's nothing wrong with the occasional three-day weekend. There's nothing wrong with a vacation in the mountains with your family. But when we live in perpetual indulgence, What we are doing is thumbing our nose to the God who created us. Laziness is a way of saying, no thank you, I will decide what is best for me. I will decide when to work and when to rest. I will decide what is good and what is evil. I will be the arbiter and the the judge of my own energy and ambition. And like every other sin, laziness has consequences now. It has consequences in eternity. Galatians 6, we read it today. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The sluggard, first of all, hurts himself. Secondly, the sluggard hurts his community. One uh, perceptive comic from Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, has six-year-old Calvin standing over an anthill in his yard, waxing philosophical. And he bellows down to the ants, Hey, ant, you're working like a maniac, and what have you got to show for it? What's the colony done for you lately? What about your needs? You don't owe anybody anything. Let the others fend for themselves. Move out. Discover yourself. Express your individuality. And then in the last pane, Calvin turns to the reader and he says, if they listen, this should solve our ant problem. (laughs) See, because our laziness is destructive and it harms those who are around us. It hurts our communities. Proverbs 18.9 says it this way, whoever is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Laziness is destructive. The sluggard and the destroyer are from the same moral gene pool. And you can see it happening. There's a certain relational destructiveness when laziness takes hold in a marriage. And the husband or the wife, or maybe both, begin to stop giving to one another and working sacrificially for the sake of the covenant. They begin seeking what makes them most comfortable. And you know that it's harmful, except that Calvin's advice, uh, not, not John Calvin, but Calvin and Hobbes Calvin, his advice is the advice that our marriages receive out there in the world from the secular counselors. What has your marriage done for you lately? What about your needs? Let your wife fend for herself. Move out. Express yourself. Discover your individuality. And no wonder if that's the way that we treat our marriages, our relationships, if we stop working hard to sacrificially love one another, no wonder they're falling apart left and right. There's a relational destruction, and 
And the sluggard hurts his community, his relationships. It happens in our disagreements with one another. It happens because it's far easier to assume that we know what somebody else is saying than it is to actually engage with their ideas on a nuanced way. Far easier to demonize the other person or maybe to figure out what side of the political spectrum or theological spectrum they fall and say, oh, you're, you're one of those. It's the sluggard's way out, and it's destructive. It happens in the church, too. You members of Redeemer have uh, taken a vow to support the church in its worship and its work, its work, the best of your ability. That's a promise to work. It's certainly more than just showing up. And yes, I understand we all have different gifts. And yes, I understand that we're all in different life stages. And no, I do not have any particular individuals in mind. So if you feel convicted, good. (laughs) But it's a shame. It's disastrous if we expect the church to carry on because we've been here inhaling and exhaling from week to week. If we're just phoning it in, if we never pray for the church, never give to the church, never help with the setup or the teardown, never volunteer for the nursery that always needs our help, we never give in the way that we ought to. We never look around ourselves and think, who could I encourage with a phone call this week? It'll probably get done by somebody else. It happens when we realize that the church gathers to study God's word at 930 And we make our theological excuses. We say the Bible doesn't say anything about Sunday school. A little more sleep. A little more slumber. As long as I slip into the back before the sermon starts, that's all I need. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, but one of our elders likes to remind us, the passage from Isaiah, cursed is the man who does the work of the Lord with slackness. Because the one who slackened his work is brother to him who destroys. And the sluggard hurts his community. But thirdly, the sluggard hurts his witness. Now when we think of laziness and the sin of laziness, we need to remember that there is a world of difference between these two words, between can't and won't. Parents, your toddlers can't contribute to the grocery bill. I don't care how much they eat. And, And... And there may become a time, there may be a time that your parents can't care for themselves anymore. In in God's providence, there are many others in the world who are dependent on others, dependent on charity and dependent on the good works of others for their daily bread. There are some who can't. And it's a godly thing when believers work hard to provide something for those who can't provide for themselves. Consider again Proverbs 21, 26. All day long, the sluggard craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Do you notice that comparison in that verse? It is not between the lazy person and the diligent person. It is between the lazy person and the righteous person. There's a righteousness bound up in our hard work and the products of it. There is, dare we say, a sort of visible Christian witness in the way that we work hard, the way that we may be able to provide for others so that we can give and give and not feel that we have to hold back. There is a godly sense of of dedication and purpose in that, and that is because when Christians work to provide for the needy, we're doing the same sort of thing that God does. How many times do we read in the Old Testament and the Lord says that he cares for the widow and the sojourner and the fatherless? He cares for those who can't. 
And we know that in the natural world, this is why this sort of harvest and uh, sowing and harvest dynamic works, because God says one man plants and another man uh, waters, and God gives the growth. He's the one who's at work in the natural world, but God is also at work in the physical, I'm sorry, the spiritual world. What do we believe about salvation and how it happens? We believe, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we were all dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked. Dead. What does that mean? Well, it means that spiritually speaking, all men and all women, all boys and all girls, are squarely in the theological category of can't. Because dead men do nothing. They're not able to work the righteousness that can atone for their sins. They can't work their way to the Lord. Romans tells us God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God sent his son to fulfill his own law for us. He lived, Christ lived, and he labored. He was never lazy. Do you ever think about the fact that we say that we are saved by Jesus' finished work on the cross? What did he come to do? He came to work diligently. And our salvation is because the righteous one gives and gives and does not hold back. And he says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that means that our hard work, our diligence, is about more than just lining our pockets and our bank accounts. It's about providing for ourselves so that in some small way we might be able to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. And in just that infinitesimally small way, show the world what God's love is like. He's the one who justifies the ungodly, the one who saves the unrighteous. He's the one who sent his son to work for our salvation. The opposite is also true. If we are lazy, if we are indolent, to the extent that we can care for no one but ourselves, we deny the claim that we are like our Father in heaven because he cares for the least of these. So you see, our laziness has implications. The sluggard hurts himself. She hurts her community. They hurt their witness. And that leads us to the final question. What does the sluggard need? What does the sluggard need to deal with this problem? Well, the foundational question, or, or answer rather, and this is not one of the three points, the foundational answer is, of course, salvation. If laziness is a sin, then it needs to be dealt with the way that all other sins are dealt with. And if there is no grace in Christ Jesus unto salvation, if there is no renewing of the Holy Spirit, it's hopeless and there's nothing you can do and you might as well indulge. And eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. What does a sluggard really need? They need salvation. All right, well, what about the Christian sluggard? The one who still dwells with, uh, still deals with the indwelling sin of laziness and tries and tries and yet is distracted. What does the Christian sluggard need? What does the Holy Spirit use to break the indwelling power of laziness? Here again, three points. The sluggard needs, first, an example. The sluggard needs an example. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You see, the lazy person needs a new teacher. He's not listening anything else. He's got his excuses lined up and his reasonings why he shouldn't have to do what everyone else has to do. And so uh, the sluggard needs a new teacher and Solomon stoops as low as he possibly can to say, here's an example for you. It's humiliating actually. 
God made man and he placed him in the garden. He, he placed him there to, to tend it and to keep it, to have dominion over the creatures. And here we are, made in the image of God. We've got our society and our art and our culture. We've got our, uh, our, our wonderful communities that we've erected. We've got our plans and our dreams and our hopes and ambitions. We've got our multi, multi-billion dollar corporations. And Solomon says, maybe you need to go and look at the insects a little bit more. Because our laziness, our sin, makes us no better than the bugs. At least the ant recognizes that there is a prudence, there's a wisdom in laying up what we need for the future. Don't get hung up on that whole has-no-ruler sort of thing. Yeah, biologists today understand ants in a hierarchy, and there's even a queen, and there's a ruler. That's not the point. The point is that when you see ants scurrying out there in your yard, Uh, gathering whatever they need. There is no ant who's standing there with a bullhorn saying, come on, go faster, grab that crumb. There's nobody sort of driving the others. The ants just know. Every ant does its job instinctively. That's the way the Lord has made them, even the queen. Did you know that a a queen army ant can lay up to 100,000 eggs in a single day? If that's not work, I have no idea what is. (laughs) But, But ants... Ants are like the beavers and the bees. They are God's creational examples to us. What does it look like to work like your life depends on it? Well, maybe if you're paralyzed by laziness, what you need is an ant farm. And the sluggard needs an example. The sluggard also needs a mirror. That's what the Proverbs have been giving us. Now, you've probably already noticed how comical uh, the Proverbs are when they deal with the sluggard. They're, They're almost sarcastic, really. I heard the story uh, this week of the man who was awarded the title of world's laziest man. And the judge of the, the contest came to his home to award the prize, and he found them there in the backyard, and his hat was pulled down over his eyes, and they're taking a little nap. And, uh, and the man walks up to him, and he says, Sir, I'm, I'm ex-, he woke him up. He said, Sir, I'm excited to announce that you have won the title of world's laziest man. I have here a plaque. Uh, with your name on it, and I have a prize of $1,000. And the man says, that's great. If you roll me over and put it in my back pocket. It's supposed to be comical. And that's what the Proverbs give us. They give us this sort of intentional exaggeration. 26.15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wearies him to... I'm sorry. I'm so hungry. If only the food weren't 18 inches away. And when you read that verse, you're supposed to hear foghorn leghorn in the back of your mind. It's a joke, son. You're supposed to laugh. It's, it's this intentional exaggeration. Uh, Solomon realizes that subtlety doesn't work with the, the sluggard. And so he's trying to shock him into seeing just how absurd laziness is. Now, last week, at the back door, somebody told me they were really enjoying our studies through Proverbs. I knew what they meant. Uh, It was a kind thing to say. If you want to tell me that same thing later, let me know. I'd be glad to hear it. But I found myself this week thinking, I don't know if I'm enjoying the Proverbs all that much. Because what I see in the absurdity of the sluggard is, is like a mirror, showing me my own laziness. I saw far too much of myself in my study this week to make this enjoyable. Maybe good. I might say it's good. I don't know if I would use the word enjoyable. Because what I saw in the Proverbs this week is is myself. I saw my love of comfort. 
I saw my destructive idleness. I saw the way that I love to take the easy way out of basically any situation I'm in. I saw every single morning the way that I spend about 45 minutes walking all the way across the bedroom to hit the snooze button and come all the way back and slide under those nice warm covers for just nine more minutes, and it goes on and on. I saw myself in the Proverbs this week. Because Proverbs is the mirror that I need to show me how foolish it is to live like a sluggard, and maybe it's the same for you. If you read the Proverbs, and it works like a mirror to show you yourself, praise the Lord. That's what it was designed to do. If you see yourself in the Proverbs, don't look away too quickly. Don't be tempted to think that the man with his hand in the dish just starving couldn't possibly be you. Because the sluggard needs a mirror. We need to come to God's word and his wisdom with the disciples' question, is it I, Lord? Now, finally, you've made it through eight of nine points. Good for you. What does the sluggard need? Well, he needs consequences. He needs consequences. Remember again that distinction between can't and won't. There are some uh, who are unable to work to provide for themselves. There are others who simply refuse to. And in the New Testament, Paul knew that people in the church would want to know what to do for those who refused to work. How do I help my friend? How do I help my child? How do I help my brother in Christ who is able-bodied and lazy? How do I help them? And Paul's response for those who won't is don't. Don't help them. Don't dig them out of the hole that they have buried themselves in. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Sometimes the help the sluggard needs is to recognize that the world has been created with a natural order of sowing and reaping. He needs to remember there are repercussions for wasteful idleness. And so Paul says don't coddle them. Don't provide for them. Don't let them escape the cycle of self-harm they have inflicted upon themselves. Now, he's not being callous. He's not just being a hard-nosed Presbyterian sort of guy. He knew the situation. He was, he was willing to encourage them. He went on uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3.11. He says, we hear some among you do walk in idleness. They're not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. He knew what was going on. He, he wanted to encourage them. He was willing to give biblical wisdom to the idlers, but he was not willing to string them along and provide for their needs if they were unwilling to provide for themselves. If you are dealing with a lazy person in your life, maybe that is what you need to do. And so maybe that brother-in-law that always asks for money and never applies for jobs, maybe he needs to hear you say, no. Maybe that coworker who always slacks off and rides the coattails of everybody else's industry needs to get booted from the project. Maybe that child who refuses to complete their assignments on time, maybe the best thing for that child is that they should fail that class and have to take it all over again. Maybe the teenager who refuses to wake up for their shift needs to get fired from that job that they clearly do not care about. Maybe the student who's dragging their feet on college applications might need to miss the window. And there are other schools. They might not want to get into the other ones. 
but what we need are consequences. You have to use your wisdom. Everybody falls on, on hard times. We all face circumstances that take us by surprise, not of our own doing, and set us back, and we all need help from time to time. But if you are dealing with a habitually lazy person, the most useful thing you can do sometimes is to let them experience the emptiness of their excuses. Folks, that's how the Lord sanctifies his people. He gives them the wisdom of examples in creation. He gives them the wisdom of his word acting like a mirror to show them their foolishness. And he gives them the discipline of natural consequences for sin. And that's what the sluggard needs sometimes. Now, all of this may have hit a little too close to home for you this week. So what do we do? What do we do if we've seen more of ourselves here than we would like to? Well, we begin with repentance. We begin with repentance. We acknowledge that sin, I'm sorry, that laziness is sin, just like the Bible says. And to that repentance, we add faith. Faith to understand that if we are in Christ, you are God's workmanship. And he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the end, at the day of Christ. We remember that we are his handiwork, that he will not abandon us or set us aside until the job is finished. And we also recognize that he calls you to be at work as he is at work. He calls you to work the works of him who sent you while it's still day. He calls you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He calls you to be all the more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. And so, dear friends, fellow sluggards, May the Lord make us dedicated and useful and diligent in his kingdom until we find our rest in him. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you that in Christ you were not counting our transgressions against us, but laid them aside, nailing them to the cross. You are the one who has worked for our salvation. You are the one who never stops working for your people's good and for the glory of your name. And so we come confessing that far too often we are overtaken by idleness and laziness. We come confessing that we, your people and the sheep of your hand, have often squandered the opportunities before us. And we plead, O oh Lord, make us diligent. Give us that sense of your work in us that moves us that pushes us on to good works which you have created us for in Christ. Pray that you would make us useful and, and diligent and builders rather than destroyers, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.